Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. With one of the largest and most comprehensive collections in the world, the National Museum of the American Indian sets the standard for indigenous art and artifacts. Its new director, Cynthia Chavez-Lamar, says the chance to steer the future direction of the museum is an awesome and inspiring opportunity. Coming up, we'll talk with her about the passion that got her here and the vision she has for taking NMAI to new audiences. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Shirley Jihad, in for Antonia Gonzalez. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled the company operating the Dakota Access oil pipeline cannot skip out of completing additional environmental reviews. This centers on the section that runs under a water source for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. The high court lets stand a lower court ruling that orders the federal government to do a more extensive environmental study on the portion of the pipeline under a lake that overlaps the border of North and South Dakota. Despite ongoing demonstrations against it, the Dakota Access Pipeline has been operating since 2017. The Texas-based company Energy Transfer operates the pipeline, and it remains up and running as the environmental review goes forward. A lawyer for the group Earth Justice, representing the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, demands the pipeline be shut down until the full safety and environmental review is complete. Federal officials are holding public meetings this week to get the public's perspective on a plan to ban oil and gas leases around Chaco Canyon in New Mexico. In November, the U.S. Department of the Interior announced its intention to block leases for 20 years, that on about 350,000 acres of land. It sits within a 10-mile radius of what is now Chaco Culture National Historic Park. The area is considered sacred by surrounding pueblos. The park is also a U.N. World Heritage Site. Leaders of the nearby Navajo Nation, though, say the moratorium encompasses too great an area and limits the revenue potential for Navajo families in the region. They also say the Interior's decision was made without sufficient tribal consultation. Navajo leaders sent notice to the Biden administration saying they want the moratorium buffer zone reduced by about half of what's proposed. Written comments on the proposal can be submitted through April 6th. In Washington state, lawmakers have been considering a measure that aims to offer a modicum of support for grieving indigenous families coping in the aftermath of the violent loss of a loved one. Steve Jackson reports from Spokane. The bill, which has already passed the House, has several provisions, including requiring a county coroner to provide an opportunity for family and affected tribes to conduct spiritual practices or ceremonies after a body has been located. Testifying in the Senate Law and Justice Committee Monday, Dwayne Garvis Lawrence of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Group said efforts need to be made to establish protocol with law enforcement when a body is discovered so that tribal members know not to enter a crime scene but are still allowed to perform their rituals on site. And at the same time, the state law enforcement understands when tribal members or descendants come up and stop, they're not going to compromise that scene. They just want to sing their songs. They want to be able to pray and smudge and do the things that they were taught traditionally 
to en- to enable people to to uh, to process and grieve. Other provisions of the new law would include grants to establish a program to provide various services to Native Americans who are survivors of human trafficking, including health care, mental health counseling, substance abuse treatment, and vocational training. For National Native News, I'm Steve Jackson reporting from Spokane. The state of Nebraska is considering a measure to pay schools to stop using Native American mascots. The money would go toward replacing school insignia, changing scoreboards, repainting fields, among other things. Nearly two dozen schools across the state still use the Native American mascots. State Senator Megan Hunt says each school would get $200,000 to make the change. With National Native News, I'm Shirley Jihad. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications for the upcoming school year are now accepted at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Support by the Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, dedicated to cancer research, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous population. A no-charge online risk assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org slash assessme. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. If you don't know today's guest, you may be familiar with her work. Cynthia Chavez-Lamar has been a guiding force in Native arts institutions for two decades. She was recently appointed as the new director of the National Museum of the American Indian in Washington, D.C., the first Native woman to direct any of the Smithsonian Institution's museums. She's no stranger to NMAI. For the past year, she has served as the museum's acting associate director for collections and operations. She has held other positions there as well, going back to an internship in 1995. She has also led institutions in her home state of New Mexico and a person who I'm very proud to say has been a friend for many years. We're talking with Cynthia Chavez Lamar today about her passion for Native arts and how Native museums can influence interest and awareness of talent and culture. We do need to point out that NMAI is a current financial sponsor of Native America Calling's parent company, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. Do you have a question or comment for Cynthia? She's with us here today and looking forward to the conversation. So give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from Washington, D.C., we have Cynthia Chavez-Lamar. She is the director of the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of the American Indian. She is San Felipe Pueblo, Hopi, Tewa, and Navajo. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. It's great to have this time to catch up with you. It's been a while. It has been a while. And Cynthia, let me begin by saying congratulations, new director of the National Museum of the American Indian. I know it's been a long journey. How does it feel? Um, I'm still sort of letting it sink in. Um, I think maybe... Uh, a month from now, it'll seem like a real thing. Uh, but right now, I, 
I feel like I'm a little bit in a dream. How long have you been on the job at this point now, officially? A week and um, four days. <laughs> okay, so Not just, just, <laughs> just organizing the filing cabinets and, and getting the phone situated and everything like that. Cynthia, we first met, geez, like 20 years ago, I think, when you were working on your PhD at the University of New Mexico. Time flies, huh? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, yeah, I can't even believe how long it's been. Um, but still, you know, have good memories of my time at UNM, University of New Mexico, for sure. Those were good times, for sure. Exciting times. And and even then, it was totally obvious that you were going to go on to big things. And I got to tell you, it's just been really, really awesome watching your career unfold. Cynthia, can I let you in on, on a cool little factoid? Sure, yeah. So as you know, I, I have a cousin, uh, his name's Dwayne Blue Spruce, and he works at NMAI. And he emails me from time to time about upcoming museum events. And last year he forwarded the announcement that NMAI was seeking a new director. And I replied right away and I asked, well, what about Cynthia Chavez Lamar? And it turns out he was actually on the selection committee. So he couldn't say too much other than that you were on the radar. But when the announcement was made last month that you had, had gotten the appointment, I emailed him right away and I said, did I call that or did I call that? And then uh, he was he followed right up. He said, uh, OK, hot shot. So who's going to win the Super Bowl? And uh, that was kind of like the end of my success in making big predictions there. But at least I got one out of two. Yeah. And the only thing that would have made it better if you actually did a money bet. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Maybe I could have gotten a few bucks out of my cousin there. <laughs> Cynthia, tell us about your new job. What, what all does it entail? Well, um, you know, people ask me, or, or I guess make the assumption that, oh, you've already worked at the Smithsonian, you've been at NMAI, this is your second time around. So, you know, thinking that, oh, the transition should be pretty, pretty easy. Um, I, you know, I, I'll say it's definitely easier than someone coming into it um, totally new. Uh, but it's, you know, but it's a whole different area of the Smithsonian as a whole in terms of the people you interact with and, um, of course, the, the, the things that you're responsible for. So uh, I wouldn't say it's a steep learning curve for me, but there certainly is a learning curve. And um, there is a lot of information coming at me on a daily basis. Um, so, you know, I think that, um, you know, for me, it's, 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 I'm in a period of, 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 of listening and learning and, of course, decision-making. You know, that, that, that's going to be a big part of the job. Um, and, and basically, I mean, in a nutshell, my job is oversight of um, the entire museum and its operations and um, stewardship of, of the buildings, our, our locations, and, of course, the collection. Now, one thing folks might not be familiar with is that NMAI is actually composed of three separate facilities, right? Yes, yes. We have uh, three locations, uh, one in D.C., which you know everybody knows because of the distinctive architecture of uh, NMAI and the mall. And we have a, a location in uh, Lower Manhattan, and um, that was actually the first location that opened up for the museum, and that was in, um, in um, 1994. And then we have the Cultural Resources Center in Suitland, Maryland, which we call the home for the collection. And um, that is 
too is a beautiful building. And um, you know, for the two for the two times that I I, I was at NMAI, that was where my home office was. And uh, you know, I really enjoyed my time out there because it was sort of a, lo- a lot more low key than downtown DC. And um, you know, we could have um, trees and um, around you, and it just seemed like more like a uh, a, a park-like setting. So yeah, I, I really like my time out there. Now, the Cultural Resources Center, it's based in, in Suitland, Maryland, and listeners might not be as familiar with that location. Is that open to the public? It's actually not a, 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 a open to the public. Um, as I said, that's where we house the collection. And um, it is a, the access to it is available by by appointment. So we do have you know different num- different number of people come through, you know whether it's um, um, tribal groups, um, artists, um, other researchers who are interested in the collection, students, um, and then of course from time to time we do um, special tours um, for various groups. Well, Cynthia, in addition to being the first woman director of NMAI, you're also the first director who is a Native American career museum professional. And I think that's interesting because the two previous directors had law backgrounds. So how important is it having that professional museum curating experience in this new role heading up NMAI? Well, you know, I am biased. <laughs> I think it is um, <laughs> particularly important. Um, and, and but of course, you know, Rick West and and Kevin Gover also did an excellent job at running the museum um, during their time and tenure. So, uh, but I do feel like you know I, I bring a certain perspective uh, just based on my experience, especially in. Uh, you know, my, my work around collections and collaboration with communities. Um, and, of course, that's something that I learned at NMAI in, my, in the early 2000s when I was a curator. And, um, you know, that was something that uh, Rick West, as director, you know, very much uh, stressed, you know, that, that imp- the importance of partnership and collaboration with Native and Indigenous people. And, um, you know, it's something that I've carried with me throughout my career, and, um, and and I think is really central to the identity of the museum. Well, Cynthia, you mentioned collections, and as I understand it, a lot of uh, NMAI's collections are actually going online now. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we actually have a, a little less than 60% of the collections online uh, right now, which, you know, I think is pretty good. Uh, you know, and, and um, it's, it's funny um, because... Yeah, I think it's one of those little-known things that we do have collections available online. If you go to our website, um, www.americanindian.si.edu, and um, because you know my husband didn't even know about it, Walter, he was surprised, and I felt a little guilty because of like, oh my gosh, my husband doesn't even know, and uh, <laughs> he should know. So I, I should have shared that at some point. So he got on there. And, uh, you know, started putting in people's names um, that he, you know, knows from being Wichita and Blackfeet and, you know, was surprised to see things, different things pop up. So, you know, he's a he's a big um, Facebook participant. 
So he got on Facebook and did a post about NMEI's collections being online and challenged people to get on there and put in someone's name or look at your tribe and, you know, see what, what's out there, um, uh, what's in the collection from your community or from someone that you might know. So, um, yeah, so I do encourage people to, to, to check it out because um, it, 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 you might find something surprising. And we also have um, – uh, email address on there because you can get in touch with with the museum if you see something on there that's incorrect or um, you feel like shouldn't be online. Uh, you know we do take that very seriously and um, and and just you know thinking about the rollout of what should go online because we're you know very I'm as a native person myself very cognizant that um, you know there's certain things that that should not be accessible to the general public. Yeah, certainly. And it must be really helpful now with the pandemic and people not being able to travel and even, you know, not maybe being able to access the museum in person that all of these or so many of these collections are available in an online setting and a format that allows people to enjoy them, even if they can't personally visit the museum. Well, folks, we are talking today with Cynthia Chavez Lamar, new director of the National Museum of the American Indians. And we sure want to take your calls because I know you have questions. She is an amazing person and has been a leader in Indian country for decades. So great to have her on our show today. You know the number to call. I'm going to tell you anyways, if you've forgotten, 1-800-996-2848. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and we will be back right after this short break. A sugar bush ceremony was interrupted by Detroit cops last week. A long-awaited cafe in Arizona is open after delays caused by the pandemic, and a new Alaska Native cookbook celebrates and documents family and community recipes. Join us for the next episode of The Menu on Native America Calling. Hey, you're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with Cynthia Chavez-Lamar today. She's the new head of the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of the American Indian. Join our discussion today. Welcome her to the job. Call 1-800-996-2848 to get your comments on the air. Cynthia, um, before we went to break, you had commented on um, the previous directors of NMEI, and I know Rick West was the, the first director, and and it's interesting because I, I I know Rick. I I had dinner with him a few years ago because I'm friends with his son Ben, and he mentioned you know talked a little bit about the museum, and you mentioned that one of the the biggest perks of being director of NMAI is that you get there's only one parking pass that's available there for the mall for NMAI, and it goes to the director, and that's pretty valuable real estate there to have. A, have your own parking space right there on the mall. So how, how's that? That must be awesome, huh? 
Well, uh, I've yet to try it out. I know it exists, and I'm very thankful it exists because, um, yeah, parking is a premium in downtown D.C., so uh, I'll be looking forward to using that space for sure. And uh, and then I have to say the other perk is the office. I mean, um, it's uh, I, I did get a chance to check that out a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was downtown for something, and um it has an amazing view, um, and um, yeah, so I, I feel uh, pretty pretty grateful for 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 those two perks. Well, Cynthia, earlier you also mentioned your husband, your hub, Walter. I've met him a few times. I don't know him well, but he's always really friendly, and he's also a high profile figure in Indian country. And guess what? What? We have him on the line right now. <laughs> Joining us, listening online in Alexandria, Virginia, we have Walter. Walter, you're on Native America Calling. <laughs> well, thanks, Sean. And, and, and number one, let me just say that you do a, a, a great job, uh, and we appreciate your voice for Indian Country. And number two, I want to say how proud I am of my wife uh, for her, her career accomplishments, uh, her uh, courage and and moving forward and applying for and being selected as a director of the National Museum of the American Indian. And I'm um, incredibly, uh, as I said, proud and also very confident in her strong vision for the museum. And, and I will say this as well, as I feel very special that she's giving, given me a, uh, a free lifetime ticket to the museum. <laughs> Walter, always look in for that angle. Walter, thank you for those thank you for those warm words. I really appreciate it. And and how did you and Cynthia meet? Um well, we we met in uh, in Washington D.C. and we met at a Christmas party in 2003 at uh the Monocle a uh, where uh, natives gathered every Christmas for a, a celebration, uh, and we met, um, and uh, and I think that probably uh, as soon as that uh, that we did, it was uh, love at first sight for her. And but but as before we go into all of that, I I, I do want to say. Um, and I've I've uh, um, been particularly uh, proud of the the of Kevin Gover and the and the museum and and what they did to uh, accomplish the construction and uh, um, the 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 placement of the National Native American Veterans Memorial and and I do want to encourage folks to be thinking about and planning for that dedication November 11th of uh, of this year. Okay. Well, yeah, Cynthia, uh, love at first sight for, for you or for him, I hope as well, right? Yeah, I'd say maybe by the third date. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, I've always thought that somebody needs to make like a top power couples in Indian country, like a blog with Native American contemporary power couples, because I think that... You two definitely deserve a top spot on that list of contemporary Native American power couples. So again, Walter, thank you for joining the show. We've got some other callers on the line. We've got Donald. He is listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Donald, you're on the air. 
Donald, I, I guess you're not on the air. I'm sorry. We have Michael listening on KUNM as well in Jemez Pueblo. Michael, you're on the air. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I just want to congratulate uh, Cynthia because, uh, you know, she comes basically from the Southwest and with some really, really high-powered traditional uh, background, you know, as far as uh, religious uh, practices and training. And uh, it was that being said, you know, she, she she's in a uniquely high position, just like my my cousin Deborah Holland, you know, and that. And I was wondering, you know, all our all our natives, we 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 want certain issues pushed, but sometimes we don't have the right people in the right places. But with these, with these two and many more, uh, hopefully, you know, we'll we'll get we'll get a good handshake and a good way of uh, of going forward, especially through our prayers and our ceremonies. And uh, speaking of which, uh, I was wondering if she, if Cynthia had uh, hands on to maybe our sacred uh, our sacred. Uh, 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 paraphernalia and whatnot that's uh, been uh, repatriated before, and I was wondering if she would uh, give a heads up to some of the tribes and say, "Well, you know, you could go ahead and start repatriate. We have we, we have articles that you can repatriate. You know, that's that's you know, I've, I've witnessed that with the Pecos Pueblo because uh, I'm my last name is Toya, and uh, Pecos Pueblo is the origin of the Toya last name, and we repatriated uh, uh, some some uh, artifacts up there." And it was it was a really a really a really sacred and uh, holy uh, uh, endeavor, and we, we're witnessing it. Uh, you know, it, it, it bring it bring tears to all of our traditional people, especially our elders. Well, Michael, thank you for calling us and, and wishing well, uh, warm wishes for Cynthia. And, and Cynthia, Michael raises an interesting question about the repatriation of artifacts, uh, and, and, you know, going back to the tribes. And can you talk about that in your new role there as director of NMAI? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, thanks for the, the comments and uh, the, the question, Michael. Appreciate it. Uh, NMAI has had an active repatriation program um, and, and its legislation, um, you know, was really sort of the impetus for for um, um, pushing forward um, the national, uh, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act as well. So, you know, we we as I said, we have an active repatriation program. We have a department and staff that are dedicated to, um, you know, stewarding claims through the process. So. Um, you know, they can get reviewed and uh, repatriations can happen. So um, we, on our website, we have all the information regarding our policies and our processes. And um, the repatriation um, department is, is always, is always um, in the position to respond to inquiries that come from, from tribes about repatriation. So you should feel free to reach out. Okay, thank you for that background, Cynthia. We have another caller. Her name is Sarah. She is listening on Keeley in South Dakota. Sarah, you're on Native America Calling. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Cynthia, for being on there and taking our calls. I am a, I guess, public historian for um, the Dakota tribes in the United States and Canada. Um, worked on a lot of NAGPRA issues. Um, Currently, I was looking at the 1876 Centennial Expedition that the federal government gave a million dollars to the Smithsonian, the BIA, to go out and collect items for the expedition. It took a couple of years, 
but specifically the director of the Smithsonian created a catalog and sent out to all the tribes, all the Indian agents. It um, had a price chart. It said what was um, on their wish list of things. And agents were to fill this out, send it back to the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian would pick and choose what they wanted and what they were willing to pay for these things. Um, when when they got stuff back from the agents' letters, the agents were saying, you know, we are, these are the poorest Indians in the country. They don't have anything left. You've taken it. They've had to give it up. Um, but there are some Indian mounds close, and I think I can find those items in that mound that you, you're requesting. So I guess what I'm wondering is if this was federally funded, the Smithsonian basically instructed the Indian agents and anyone at these agencies to collect, um, and they were happy to do it. Um, but doesn't that then fall under, like, that federal money that collected those items, that paid for those items? Um, isn't that now the entire collection should be a NAGPRA or, you know, or repatriation, and I, I believe some of those items did fall now within NMAI, um, and that goes with the war goods, Army medical items. Um, the questions have been asked from the Smithsonian in the past, um, but they kind of dodge it or just say, you know, war goods, Army medical, just off the table for NAGPRA. How do we change that? And and. And Deb being in the Department of Interior, you know, is, it, is this the time to really go after those collections and get them back to the tribe? Thank you. Well, Sarah, thank you for, for that call and that question. And I, I do think just to preface Cynthia's response, in all fairness, this is um, an issue that occurred about 150 years ago. So I think we have to, to grant some some uh, regard in terms of holding um, current leadership there at MAI completely accountable. But Cynthia, do you, do you, can you respond to that to that question that Sarah has regarding this centennial collection from 1876? Uh, I, I can't uh, speak specifically to that. I mean, I would need more information um, because I, I, you know, I, I would feel like I was speaking out of turn, not knowing the the complete. Um, a historical record. I will say that um, in in those early years, you know, with the Smithsonian and its collections, uh, a lot of those collections ended up at the um, the National Museum of Natural History. Um, and not to say that NMAI doesn't have some of those items, um, but the majority of uh, NMAI's uh, existing collection um, came from the Museum of the American Indian which was uh, established by uh, George Gustav High, who was a wealthy investment banker. And he was just, uh, you know, he, he, he believed that, you know, Native and Indigenous people were going to disappear. And he went out there and, you know, was, was, doing, was doing a lot of collecting. And, um, you know, by the time of his, his death in the 1950s, he had amassed over 700,000 items. Um, from Native and Indigenous people, and um, you know, of course, some of those were were um, sacred and ceremonial items, and other items that you know were that now fall under under um, um, NMAI's um, repatriation policy. So, uh, you know, 
they're, they're NMAI um, and I believe the Smithsonian, you know, take any claim to items in the collection, their collection seriously. So, um, you know, I do feel like um, there is um, an open door in terms of having a dialogue and, and considering these claims. I think in terms of advocacy and, you know, trying to change things, um, that, is, that is a collective effort. Um, and so I, I, I do agree, um, you know, with the, this caller and then also Michael, you know, that um, having um, people in prominent positions, positions that can potentially um, influence change is, is helpful. And, you know, I'm certainly willing to work um, in collaboration with others to, to help um, be an advocate for change. Okay, Cynthia, thanks for that reply to Sarah's question. And we have another caller listening on KZYK. He's one of our regulars. His name is Melvin, and he's in Santee, Nebraska. Melvin, you're on the air. Yes, uh, I'd like to congratulate her on her new appointment to this job. Uh, we at Santee have had to deal with artifact issues. I sit on the treaty council, and I go to many of the meetings. And one of the big problems we had in the last forever seems like the core of the Army Corps of Engineers. And the, the Army Corps of Engineers office here in Omaha has collected many artifacts without any inventory given to the tribes, and uh, years, a few years back, members of the Army Corps of Engineers in Omaha were selling artifacts. We know this is going on. There needs to be something set in place where uh, there's some kind of observation when the Corps goes out so that uh, we could keep an eye on these artifacts while they're in federal custody. Thank you. Well, thank you, Melvin. And Melvin, again, has, you know, questions about repatriation and, and issues with uh, artifacts and, and, and apparently being sold by Army Corps. Um, Cynthia, do you, do you want to respond to that? We've got about another minute before we have to take a break. Um. I, I, you know, I don't know specifically anything about um, the, the Army Corps and, um, you know, the, 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 the taking or acquisition of, of items from, from, the, from specific areas. So it's a, it's a bit hard for me to respond to that. Um, you know, I, sure. would, I would say, just like I said earlier, that, um, you know, in a, the context I provided for NMAI's collection, um, you know, is, is – is a bit different. Um, I'm not saying that um, the the way things were collected um, was always the right way. I'm not saying that um, what we have in the collection um, 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 is is shouldn't be there either. Because what I've witnessed throughout my years of experience in the museum field is um, you know the 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 perspective and opinions from tribes they vary. Um, you know, not not just in terms of 
collections as a whole, but uh, what on in, on individual items. Um, you know, I've had experiences where where you know tribes definitely feel like everything should come back, and then I've had experiences where tribes have said um, we're interested in the in the in this body of items and everything else. You know, we're we're fine if it remains at at the at the institution. So. You know, there are definitely a diversity of opinions out there, and um, I think, um, you know, it, it's really important to, to consult directly with the tribe that's directly affiliated or, or impacted by what's in the collection. Well, Cynthia, thank you for that very detailed explanation. And again, um, really interesting insights. Folks, we are again talking with Cynthia Chavez-Lamar, the new director of the National Museum of the American Indian. We've got to take a short break, but we will be right back. The Association of American Indian Physicians and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention remind you there are now booster recommendations for all three available COVID-19 vaccines in the United States. You may choose which COVID-19 vaccine you receive as a booster shot. Getting the COVID-19 vaccination protects you, your family, and your community. More information at aaip.org or cdc.gov coronavirus who support this show. Thanks for listening today. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're getting the inside story on the future direction of the National Museum of the American Indian today from the museum's new director, Cynthia Chavez Lamar. What would you like to ask her about NMAI? Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. And Cynthia, I'd like to ask you, what do you think are your greatest strengths right now that you bring to NMAI? Well, uh, you know, uh, my my years of working in the museum field, uh, I think in particular, the you know my my interest and my um, emphasis on collaboration and partnership with indigenous people, and so yeah, I think those those two two things are 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 are, are my great strengths. Do you feel that there are some skills that you would still like to develop, or other areas that you can improve in? Oh yeah, I mean, there's um, there's you know always areas that any an individual can improve in. Um, I think I'm probably my my biggest critic sometimes, um, but I'm going to try to keep this a little lighthearted and say um, my uh, my my social media skills are, are poorly lacking. Yeah, yeah, and that's really important uh, for for museums these days. Is you know to have a. I mean, we have a presence on social media, um, but I I don't think I understand enough about how it works, um, especially nowadays, with um, you know TikTok and uh, oh gosh, so many other things out there um, that um, you know younger generations are fully engaged with. Um, you know, I, I I definitely need to become more familiar. Yeah, I can totally relate. And I know, you know, we grew up with that whole like writing essays and five paragraph papers. And now it's all about just getting that perfect, you know, concise 30 character post or, or comment on social media. And it times sure have changed. And and speaking of just, you know, how things have changed over the years, Cynthia, I remember um, you had a, a position in the, in the Native American Studies program there at, the, at, at UNM. And that's how we first met in, in Albuquerque. And I remember um, 
when you actually defended your dissertation. And I had actually went to that with some other students who we went to support you. And I'd never been to one of those before. It, w it was really intense. What do you remember about that day? Well, um, I, I think you, I think there was probably like a standing room only, uh, meaning that <laughs> there was about five of you there, including my parents. <laughs> it, it was like going to a Lobo basketball game. The, the, we were packed to the rafters. Uh, I remember being super nervous, right? Um, and then before that, I, 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 of course, wanted to look nice. So I thought, okay, I need to you know, buy something that looks businesslike. So I went out and got a, a, a new, new, um, new set of clothing and shoes and did the, did the whole thing, and it was over. And I remember walking out side and you know with my parents and and talking to them and you know expecting okay you know well of course you know they said you did good da 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 and then my dad says says to me he says uh um you have a, a price tag on the bottom of your shoe <laughs> and, and i could see it when you were sitting at the table <laughs> so that actually that's the thing that sticks out the most is that because i remember it to this day i had a price tag on the bottom of my shoe <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, Cynthia, I mean, you mentioned your parents and I know you come from a family of artists and educators. Tell us more about your upbringing there at San Felipe Pueblo. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I call it home. I, I grew up there, but I, I was actually born in Dallas, Texas, of all places. Um, my parents uh, were there uh, as part of relocation. My dad was getting training as an architectural drafts, draftsman. Uh, so they were there um, for a year when I was born, and they got so tired of, um, you know, not seeing any mountains they, and were missing uh, New Mexico. So they, they moved back. And so I grew up there, and you know, my, my dad, his early career was, was as a draftsman, um, but, you know, after a while figured out that, you know, that's not going to cut it. He really needed to earn a living um, that could support his growing family. So he got into making hishi, and from there, you know, got into making jewelry. Um, completely self-taught. You know, I'm incredibly proud of my dad. He's a, you know, yeah, he, so he's, yeah. Done, he's a, yeah, he's done a lot to to take care of us and and give us, you know, a life so we can you know, be good and contributing members of society. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so, um, so art's been a big part of my life, um, from, from early on. Uh, my mom, she, she worked in clay, uh, taught my sister and I to work in clay. And, you know, that comes from the, the Hopi Tewa side, um, of the family. And, um, so, so yeah, art art's definitely been a big part of my life, and um, the community and the culture has been a big part. You know, my both my parents have emphasized how important that is to who we are as as a family and people, and so you know, I carry that with me. Yeah, thank you again, Cynthia. So I, I know how much your family means to you, so I really appreciate you sharing that. And Cynthia, was there ever a time in your life that you considered taking the artist career path as opposed to getting into you know professional museum work like you do? Um, that was actually my goal, right? <laughs> when um, I um, graduated from high school, I uh, I went to Colorado College, and the, the 
funny part of the story of how I got there was I actually was recruited by a Dartmouth recruiter to go to Colorado College. <laughs> he uh, there he was he was trying to recruit me to go to Dartmouth, and I said that's too far away. I don't I don't want to be that far away from home. And he said, Well, you know, I know this great small liberal arts. Um, college in Colorado that you might be interested in. So, you know, that's how I ended up there. But I was a studio art major and I, you know, uh, concentrated on photography and stone lithography, really enjoyed that. And, um, but by my junior year, I thought, oh, I started getting worried about making a living, <laughs> simple thing, making a living. And and just felt like, um, you know, I need some time to sort of figure out what my career path is going to be because I didn't have, you know, 100% confidence in my abilities as an artist. So I went to grad school, and that's where I got introduced to, to museums. And, um, you know, my interest just grew because um, with museums, you get to be around art. You get to be around artists. Um, and um, it just seemed like a, 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 a good path for me. Well, Cynthia, earlier, you know, we were talking about your dissertation, and I know it had to do with how Pueblo artists negotiate their beliefs when making art. And I'm curious, does that factor in, does that influence you now as director of NMAI, that, that work you did back when you were a PhD student? Oh, most definitely. Uh, you know, and growing up, you know, as a Pueblo person, you know, we're taught, you know, certain things about, you know, what you can share, what you can represent. And, um, you know, so that's been uh, something that, you know, that, you know, I've, I've kept, kept, kept close to, close to my heart. So when I was in, uh, when I was thinking about what I was going to write about, um, as a grad student, first of my master's thesis, I, I focused on a on an artist from San Felipe. Her name's Felice Lucero, an amazing artist. Um, and I just have to say, in general, some of the artists from San Felipe Pueblo, um, I want to say all the artists, you know, they're they're really unique and distinctive in their in their artistic style. Um, you know, because San Felipe, um, if you look at it historically. Um, Compared to other pueblos, we don't have like a strong artistic known tradition. Uh, and today, I would say the artists that um, that are out there, like Felice, and you know, my dad and my brother Isaiah Ortiz, you know, Hubert Candelario, uh, Daryl Candelaria, you know, they all have very unique uh, and and very um, I guess um, contemporary types of styles. Um, so anyhow, I was, you know, and thinking about artists and how they, how they think of how they want to represent their culture. I, I was very interested in, in, in looking at how they might negotiate what they represent or what they choose not to represent in their work. And, um, and that there's, you know, in general, that just falls under this whole idea of cultural sensitivity. And, you know, that's something that's very important to anyone, any person who works with um, Native and Indigenous material culture. You know, you always have to be aware that um, a, lot of, a lot of what is in collections is very special, and there's maybe some things that um, should not, like I said earlier, be publicly accessible, 
Um, there's some things that should not be in museum collections. And um, so, you know, having that, that grounding or that understanding early on based on my, 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 my cultural background has been really helpful to me in, um, you know, in, my, in my career as a museum professional. Well, Cynthia, you mentioned cultural sensitivity, and again, I think you just bring such such a wonderful wonderful perspective to that whole topic. And I know, you know, thinking about the overall vision for NMAI, and you have a board of trustees, and are you working closely with them on, on topics and issues like that? Well, we, you know, have certain committees that do um, provide advice on, on those types of topics. And uh, in particular, you know, we have a repatriation committee and a collections and scholarship committee. Uh, so, you know, like recently, we've been talking about uh, a policy for 3D reproduction and digitization, you know, with the with how how fast technology is is advancing and how easy it is for people to have access to technology and do all kinds of wonderful and sometimes scary things. Uh, you know, we knew that we have to be thinking about this uh, because, you know, as stewards of NMAI's collection, uh, the collection, you know, we have to um, be on top of some of these things so that we have an understanding of how we can, can best um, protect uh you know, the interests of the collection. And, and I say that intentionally because, you know, the collection is a, is a living, breathing entity. A living, breathing entity. That's really, really fascinating. And Cynthia, we know have listeners today, and maybe some of them have never been to the Smithsonian uh, or the NMAI, and, or maybe they're thinking about accessing these online collections. And what would you like to tell folks uh, about NMAI in Indigenous museums, and, and why is it important that as Native people that we make it a point to to support these types of institutions? Well, I, I think it's important um, for uh, for a, a couple of different reasons. Um, you know, the NMAI's um, m mission and vision is really focused on partnership and collaboration with Indigenous peoples. Um, in pursuit of um, equity and social justice for indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere. So, you know, what we hope to do is create awareness and understanding about um, indigenous people's histories, cultures, arts, um, and beliefs, and, and their contemporary existence. So, uh, you know, I feel like um, the more... Um, uh, we, and indigenous people can do to support institutions that really are trying to be ethical and responsible uh, stewards and educators. Um, you know that 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 helps us. You know that helps us um, um, in, in terms of um, letting us know that yeah, we we think you're doing a good job, um, but then we also need to know when. When um, you know there are some concerns, um, so mm -hmm. I feel like um, we do we do we need we do need to hear from from indigenous people, and we do need their support. And for folks that want to learn more about NMAI or access these collections that are available via web, where can they go? 
um, to our website, and um, there are, you know, our, our different um, tabs on our website. Um, there's one specifically for collections and research, and that's where you can find the information about collections online, as well as um, find information about how to actually make a physical uh, a, a visit to the um, Cultural Resources Center if you have um, you know, a specific reason to access the collections. Although I will say right now, you know, we are um, um, not um, um, taking, um, accepting requests for visits to the Cultural Resources Center because of COVID. And, um, you know, we are open. The, the museums in D.C. and New York are open. Uh, so if you ever find yourself in D.C. or New York, please come by, um, pay us a visit. Uh, we have a great new exhibit that just opened at um, NMAI uh, D.C., and that's Preston Singletary, Raven in the Box of Daylight, uh, which is curated by um, Miranda Bellardi-Lewis, who's Zuni and Clinkett. So proud to have opened that exhibit. She's a former intern of NMAI and an accomplished and amazing scholar, um, so, you know, I'm super happy to, to, to be the director when that exhibit's here. And then we're also opening up a, a, an exhibit in um, New York on March 11th. That's um, um, Dakota Modern, The Art of Oscar Howe, also curated by an Indigenous woman, uh, Kathleen Ash Milby. Uh, she uh, was is a former curator of NMAI. She's now um, at the Portland Art Museum. So, again, okay. proud to, to be opening that museum as well. I mean, that exhibit as well. Well, once again, we've reached the point where we have to bid farewell. Until next time, Cynthia, thank you again for joining us on the show today, sharing so much great information about NMAI and yourself. I think you really helped pull the curtain back for our listeners today. And, and again, congratulations on your new position. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for your family. And I really look forward to your continued leadership. We have another live show for you tomorrow. Host Andy Murphy will talk about food and food sovereignty issues, including a discussion of a native, native sugar bush gathering that was shut down by Detroit police. I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. Looking to get your high school diploma? Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute offers Native Americans ages 18 or older training and preparation courses for the high school equivalency diploma in person and online beginning May 4th. All attendance and testing fees for this program are waived and resources will be available to help with supplies and living expenses. Space is limited. Application deadline is April 8th. More by calling 505-382-4287 or at sipi.edu who support this show. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.